Recently, there was a book which um, was partially funded, I believe, by the UK government targeting children, trying to suggest that British history is black history. Um, and it, it doesn't make any sense. It, it's ridiculous. And the, the government is basically funding um, this black revisionist propaganda. I mean, there is a legitimate history in, in Britain, but mm. this is not it. It doesn't stretch back very far. No. And if you're just going by people in the past had dark skin, mm -hmm. we'd just like to clear this up. It does not mean that they are Central, West, East, or Sub-Saharan Africans. In fact, it might just mean that they had a darker complexion to what myself or Josh has right now. Although, given how um, swarthy you can be, if you're left out in the sun for too long, you might resemble what Cheddar Man actually looked like. Well, yeah. I mean... I, I probably have a disproportionate amount of that sort of genealogy, but we'll be getting onto that mm. because, yes, I'm very genetically Celt, so they would have looked like me. Worth bearing in mind. Um, but here's the cover of the book. Here it is. Brilliant Black British History. And, of course, they've got the, the fist in the air, which is oh, um, obviously a historic uh, symbol, not Black Lives Matter. Although they do have <laughs> something about it. BLM is a historic British movement, don't you know? Yeah, it's, it's always been British. It's British lives matter. Mm -hmm. And British back then, everyone just knew meant black. Mm -hmm. they're, they're just synonymous with one another. Of course. We're actually uh, outliers in our own country. Um, mm. But yes, here you have Stonehenge in the background. You've got some sort of uh, maybe late medieval dress there. Um, is yeah. there a token white woman in the middle? There is, yes. Who's she? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she's a slave owner. Uh, I, I, I'm presuming that would be the Perhaps only reason. Perhaps she was a slave. Yeah, the, the roles have been reversed now. Well, I mean, if we're going to assume that all of the important figures of British history were all black, then that must include all of the major sta uh, slaveholders. Didn't you know Winston Churchill was secretly a black man? <laughs> it's true. Not really. An but, amazing transformation, I must admit. But here is something that's quite egregious. Um, this is one of the pages talking about the Romans. And... Uh, and I should probably read a little bit mm. from it. It says, A new civilization rose in Europe from a small city called Rome. I mean, small by what standard at the time. But anyway, pedantry aside, that um, from that you city, sorry. race pedantry around here. I know, I am chief pedant. Um, city and empire grew and grew. Um, it conquered parts of Europe, the Middle East and North Africa. The Romans wanted to conquer the whole world. Well, it's worth pointing out that they didn't know about the whole world yet because we didn't know. But... Um, you know, this is a children's book. I suppose it's simplifying do, stuff. Do people just... I, I, it's definitely a purposeful thing, but they just want to associate all of Africa with black. That meaning sub-Saharan mm -hmm. Africa, what the 19th century would have referred to as Bantus. Um, they're not. North Africa, historically, is very different from sub-Saharan Africa. Which... It's worth mentioning as well, in the Roman times, you know, they... they eventually conquered North Africa after defeating Carthage. Um, and the Carthaginians um, originally hailed their sort of homeland as Syria, that sort of area of the world. Um, so worth mentioning that. It Middle Eastern, maybe. It turns out when you have a gigantic inhospitable desert separating two areas of a continent, the people on either side of it tend to be quite different. Strange. I know. Who'd have thought? But um, it carries on to say... Um, but the Romans could not travel further south than North Africa. Um, in their way was a desert as wide as an ocean and a warrior queen, um, Aminus Shekato. Um, I, I don't know whether that, that was a correctly. good attempt, actually. That looks about right. Thank you. That was, uh, I, I didn't even bother to uh, practice it either. But um, 
this this lady of Nubia, um, who would not let them pass. Actually, the the real history is um, that they carried out several expeditions to Africa um, and realized that it wasn't worth conquering and decided just to trade with some African countries. And um, after um, the sort of Caesarian period, whereby um, eventually um, Augustus defeats Mark Antony and Egypt comes under Roman control, there was a little bit of a confrontation where the Romans seized several of, at the time, they wouldn't have been Nubians, they would have been the Kushites. They seized several of their cities and eventually they sued for peace and they traded for a long time. So that was it. But it wasn't that they held them back. It was, um, for example, Nero... So just to confirm, Nigerians and other people like that were not involved in this. No. Um, But um, Nero actually sent an expedition because he wanted to conquer this area and then they came back and said, there's nothing but desert, don't bother. Funny how that happens. So yeah. Um, also, just to confirm, Egypt at this time as well, not black. No, certainly not. No, still not really. More Arab these days, but even back then it wouldn't have been as Arab as it is nowadays. because the- Well, it, there wouldn't have been any, as in yeah. they were their own distinct culture, as well, well the- as the fact that, you know, uh, Cleopatra was Greek. So yes. Um, See, I s- swear I saw a Netflix series telling me the exact opposite of that recently. Oh yeah, of course. Sorry. Unless, I, a Netflix Stelios? takes... Is Stelios uh, black? I think he might be. Oh, that makes it explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Stelios. Um, but anyway, it carries on to say um, a Roman historian called Tacitus wrote that the Romans found found white people from Europe living on the coast of Britannica. Um, uh, weird thing to say. While um, inland lived the original Britons, who were dark skinned and curly haired. Um, There's no white man has ever had a slightly darker complexion and curly hair. I don't have curly hair, but. Um, I've got an olive complexion, despite being, I think it's something like 97% um, Britonic. I'm still waiting back on my DNA results, so I'm very excited when I get those. So it carries on to say, the Roman soldiers were the best in the world, but they shivered in their boots when they faced the warriors who came screaming blue murder out of the lashing British rain. Um, Well, I mean, they eventually conquered us, so not entirely true. But yes, it was scary. I mean, we had the Carnix, which is a weird war horn. We painted ourselves and fought naked, and we had lots of chariots. So, yeah, it probably was scary. Pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, you're going to get me on a little historical tangent here, but yeah, go when, for it. I'm when Caesar um, took his force to go to the British Isles, the first Roman attempt at coming here, they saw loads of warriors on the cliffs of Dover, just lining it, and apparently <laughs> it scared the men. Um, quite terribly. That would be quite intimidating. You've not even landed and there are just scores and scores of men because of course it being the sort of Celtic world and the channel separating the continent they'd heard about the Romans and were expecting them. I forget who it was but I believe before Caesar arrived here um, I think there was another traveller possibly from Rome who arrived in the mid uh, 3rd century BC who described us quite differently to how Caesar described us. Obviously, Caesar said we're... Going about um, Pythias the Greek. Yeah, right? yeah, that, that was it. Yeah, Greek. And he said that we were actually very nice people, very gentle and loved to uh, share and live in nice communities. And then Caesar comes and he's like, the barbarians, brutes. <laughs> I murdered a lot of them, but that don't pay any attention. Mm-hmm. But obviously, this isn't an accurate representation of history. Um, and uh, let's have a look at some of the other pages. Here we are. This is... Uh, 
Conquerors and Migrants chapter, and uh, it, it's... Is this the, the average Dark Ages? Did they misinterpret what Dark I meant? I think they might have done, because, um, yeah, I don't really remember this part. They're talking about Vikings. I think they've got Anglo-Saxon stuff. There. No, I think, um, I think that, that guy in the tunic there, the, the black man, that, I think that's King Offa. Where's, which one do you mean? Uh, that, that, that gentleman this... there. Yeah, him. That's King Offa. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, my, my Mercian blood is uh, calling out and recognizes him. Boo, Anglo-Saxons. <laughs> um, and here, here we have the Stuarts. Um, this is an accurate <laughs> representation. This is, this is what British history looks like. Um, I'm sorry, that's just so ridiculous. <laughs> just to put the Stuarts here. Which, okay, which one's, um, which one's James I? I, I don't know. Everything I know about history has just been thrown out of the water here. Um, I mean, clearly we've been lied to, Harry. This is our true history. But uh, you, you get the gist. Um, but the Telegraph did an article about this. And, and you say that this was partially funded by the government. Yes, it was. Um, yeah. I'll be getting on to that. Oh, all right, okay. But the Telegraph breaks down some of uh, the details of this because I haven't read the full book because... Uh, I don't want to buy it and give them money. Um, but I, I've seen enough. Pretty racist. <laughs> it's more that it's bad history, and I care about history. You don't want to give black people gibs? What, are you racist or something? <laughs> it wouldn't be gibs. It would be a monetary exchange for goods and services, Harry, which is perfectly reasonable. Could you describe this as either a service or a good? It's a good laugh. <laughs> um, but anyway, what the Telegraph says... Um, if I can get my notes up. So it says, Stonehenge was built by Black Britons. A new children's book um, has claimed. I haven't been able to find that page online, unfortunately. But I've it says, seen it. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just a load of black guys standing around Stonehenge. Okay. Um, the illustrated book entitled Brilliant Black British History by the Nigerian British author, who'd have thought, mm. uh, Atinuke. Um, Nigerian-born British author. So Nigerian mm -hmm. with a passport. Yes. Oh, okay, nice. Um, says every single British person comes from a migrant. Well, I mean, every single person ever to have existed probably migrated somewhere because hunter-gatherers weren't uh, sedentary. It was only until the dawn of farming that sort of society stayed where they were. This, this is like a single-digit IQ take, mm -hmm. and it's becoming more and more frequent, and it's such gaslighting, is that if you go back 4,000 years, you probably came from an Eastern hunter-gatherer mixing with a Western hunter-gatherer. So technically, you're a migrant. Mm -hmm. Okay, but... I think that's the Scandinavians, the, the combination between Easter, East and well, West. Well, whatever. They'll, they'll say it? something like that and you'll go, okay, um, so what does that mean? What do, why does that matter? They won't be using the actual um, well, paleo-anthropological terms like that. Though. They won't know, will they? But um, yes, the book published by Bloomsbury, which is quite a famous large publisher and promoted by the Arts Council-funded um, literacy charity, uh, The Book Trust. The Arts Council is um, part of the um, Digital Media, Culture and Sport Department of the government, by the way. So yes, they funded it via a charity. States that Britain was a black country for more than 7,000 years before white people um, came during that time, um, and that the most famous British monument was um, built, Stonehenge. So yes, black people built Stonehenge. Um, the introduction says Britain has been mostly um, been a mostly white country for a lot less time than it has been mostly a black country. Um, Atanuke's book for readers aged seven plus, um, because 
Um, I, I would imagine it'd be seven and under, wouldn't it? Because by the age of uh, seven, you would start getting some credulity about you. Just like, hang on a minute. How did this happen? Was there, it's like, um, right. If, if, if this is the story that they're trying to mm -hmm. promote, the story that they're trying to tell, which is that, you know, it was inhabited by people of dark skin, which they want to associate all with Africans, despite the fact that sub-Saharan Africans have a very distinct genetic mix compared to most other populations across the world. Well, yes, for example, they don't have any uh, Neanderthal DNA like no. Europeans and Middle Easterners. They don't have Denisovans like the Asians. In fact, I believe that I've seen some figures saying that 19% of their ancestry comes from some, some different... Homo um, erectus, um, yes. which is actually one of our... Um, ancestors that we had directly descended from and it coexisted. And you don't get that in Asian, European, Native American mm. populations. But yeah, in, in Africa there were lots of, um, there's a wider variety of various hominins that were, you know, ancestors or cousins of ours. There's actually, a, funnily enough, greater diversity, um, mm. but in the actual sense. And also European people are the only ones, I believe, I, I've, I know this through watching Survive the Jive, mm -hmm. to have any remnant of haplogroups um, R1B R1B yeah, found within the Western Hunter Gatherers, mm -hmm. I believe it is. Yes, We're the it only is, yeah. population in the world to have that haplogroup in us. Africans don't have that. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it just meant that back in the day, Western Hunter Gatherers, while probably not as dark as Cheddar Man, did have darker skin than us, that, that doesn't mean that they were sub Saharan African. Mm -hmm. That meant that they were our ancestors and over time, uh, through mixing with other groups, our skin pigmentation became lighter, presumably to adapt to low sun conditions. Mm -hmm. I mean, but it, the, this the is adaptation perfectly. doesn't have to be like your sub-Saharan African to like Icelandic. No, <laughs> that would be quite a remarkable change to see. Yeah, it, it probably would have been a lot smaller than that. Yeah, so this, and especially given that we know Mm -hmm. who Cheddar Man's ancient uh, also, descendant is. It's also um, mentioning Survive the Jive. It's worth mentioning that he raised a very good point in his video about Cheddar Man saying mm -hmm. that um, if you had a high amount of melanation in your skin in Britain, um, you'd basically have to live by the coast because you would be vitamin D deficient. You can only really get that from other animals, so you'd need to eat lots of shellfish as a hunter-gatherer. But if, if you find Cheddar Man, he's you know, in... Somerset in Cheddar Gorge, which isn't necessarily right next to the coast. Obviously, Somerset yes. is close to the coast, but he wasn't there. And he was quite far away. Another interesting point that Tom brought up was that um, one of the people advising the research team was a man called Tom Booth on the Cheddar Man Project. And I believe that he in the past has said that genetic researchers have to be very careful when presenting the results of their genetic testing, just in case they uh, fan the flames of white supremacists. I've heard about this fellow, and I find him rather unsavory, yeah. is uh, the way I'd put it. But anyway, it carries on to say, um, it takes the reader through a chronological overview of black people's presence in Britain, saying the Cheddar Man, the oldest human remains found in Britain, but not anymore, which I'll get onto in a second, had skin as dark as can be, which is just a lie. But... It's worth mentioning that um, the oldest um, fossil here, um, earliest fossil in the UK revealed how ancient European hominins were connected. This is um, from about 480,000 years ago. Um, this that's, is, a, that's a while longer than 9,000 years. This is a Homo heidelbergensis, um, which I don't know whether you would type. Is a diff, huh? 
I didn't hear what you said. I said Gesundheit. Bless you. Oh, right. <laughs> but um, yes, it, it comes from, the name comes from the Heidelberg area of Germany because that's where the first fossil came from. But if you want to class this as a human being, um, it's part of the Homo family, but it isn't an anatomically modern human. So, you know, things have been found earlier. And speaking of which, um, here we are. This as of January 2023. Wait, 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 wait. So, so we, we found something that's uh, of the Homo family. Yes. From almost 500,000 years ago. Nearly in, half a million years ago. Yes, in Britain. When is it that they say the migrations out of Africa happened to for the linchpin of the out of Africa theory? Wasn't it something like only 100,000 years ago? Oh, yeah. The, the out of Africa theory is a load of rubbish um, because hominins had existed in Europe and Asia for a considerable amount of time. I believe we were also starting... Millions of years, actually. I believe we we're also starting to find ancient remains of apes in Europe and in parts of mainland Asia as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we have. Yeah. Um, so here is some recent research. This is one from 11,000 years ago. This is from the start of this year, so maybe this book was published a bit earlier, but The Telegraph should have probably picked up on this. But um, yes, this is the new oldest thing. It was found up north. Um, not enough information about it yet, but basically it, Cheddar Man's no longer the oldest, and I just wanted to uh, clear that up because nice. I wanted... And also it's great that we found some new stuff as well. I mean, I'm always happy to see the work of archaeology going on. Um, but it's worth mentioning as well that if you want to learn more about our early ancestors, here we have um, my video, um, Contemplations, talking about the sort of early origins of humanity, talking about our ancestors and things like that. Um, so here it is. Check it out. It's very good. It's one of the things I'm most proud of that I've done. I've been watching a bit of that recently, and it is excellent. So Thank you, you very much. Definitely check it out. Mm -hmm. But let's talk a bit more about Cheddar Man, shall we? Because uh, let's uh, scroll down just so we see the, uh, the representation um, mm. in, in lots of meanings of the word. It's worth mentioning, had blue eyes. Um, that doesn't really happen in Africa very much. Um, he's also it doesn't part really of a group. happen that much in any non-European. No. But he was part of a group referred to um, by paleontologists as Western hunter-gatherers or Cro-Magnon man. And this uh, group of people existed all throughout Europe, basically. They were the, um, the ascendant group for a short while. I've been told that I resemble Cro-Magnon. <laughs> I've been told I've got Cro-Magnon brow. You've got archaic human uh, physiognomy. You are correct. Thank you. Somewhat Neanderthal-esque. Mm -hmm. But um, it's worth mentioning that 90% of the DNA of the British Isles was replaced in the late Neolithic, around 6,400 to 3,500 BC, by what we refer to as the Bell Beaker people that are largely the descendants of most modern Britons today. Um, and they got here via the Netherlands, and they themselves were descended a part of an Indo-European steppe people. Um, and this is the people that also called um, Celtic peoples are descended from. And, um, so would these be the early European farmers that Tom's yes. referring to in this tweet? It's also worth mentioning as well that this origin, um, this sort of genetic analysis and archaeological analysis is supported by um, the history of the English language. We've got um, Indo-European roots in the English language, and so um, there are commonalities between English and other languages. But I break that down in a recent contemplations in which part two will be out by the time this video is out. So um, where was I? Ah, yes. The, the Telegraph carries on saying, the leader of 2018 research into Cheddar Man's DNA said it was impossible to know with certainty how 
Um, this early inhabitant looked, and other research, uh, researchers sorry, noted problems with attempting to predict skin tone from the genetic model used. Um, recent genetic analysis has shown that inhabitants of Britain in the period when Stonehenge was completed around 2500 BC were pale-skinned early farmers whose ancestors had spread from Anatolia. Correct. Yes. Um, and just to support this view, um, this is Tom uh, Rousel, who is survived the jive. Um, does some great work on YouTube. Um, Stonehenge was built by people genetically the same as modern-day Sardinians, except they had lived in Northwest Europe um, over 2,000 years, so they were lighter. There was nothing black about them. These are two reconstructed Neolithic men from the British Isles, all um, the skeletons from Britain dated between 4,000 BC and 2,500 BC belong to this race, known as early European farmers. None of them were African. Bloomsbury Publishing should be taken to court for publishing outright lies in the book Brilliant Black History, which um, they claim these people were black at no point in the history of this island. Has it been mostly black, i.e. the pop um, populated by sub-Saharan African people? They are utterly discredited by publishing such nonsense, which is very true. And um, although we have um, no formal affiliation, I would like to mention he's got a, a book about Europe, a book, um, a video, sorry, about Europe's first megaliths, if you wanted to check that out. Um, I think it's a good video. Um, that's just a general recommendation. But um, yeah, he deserves the credit for the, his hard work in discrediting this nonsense. So it's also worth mentioning that um, we have an interview, I believe, which Bo did, um, which is going to go up yesterday. But at the time of recording, it's not yet up. But that will be on the website if you want to check it out. Um, that is, of course, with Tom from Survive the Jive, if you uh, appreciated what he said about this sort of stuff. I'm still so, annoyed I missed all of these excellent guests coming in. I know, I missed this as well. Yeah. But, um, we go back to the article again. Um, let's carry on and have a look at some of the, the claims that have been said so far. Um, the book states the Roman historian Tacitus, we've mentioned that. Um, it adds that by the Middle Ages, Britain was a hodgepodge of people, originally um, original British migrants, Celts, Romans, Britons, Anglo-Saxons, Vikings, Africans, and Normans. One of those is not like the others. <laughs> yeah, um, sneak that in there, why don't you? Mm -hmm. They spoke a hodgepodge of languages too. Well, not really. Um, I mean, also, what era, when? I mean, when it was, um, you know, the Celts, they had probably had idiosyncrasies of their own tribes. But a lot of the time, like the Anglo-Saxons all had a mutually intelligible language. They could even communicate to a certain extent with the Vikings because they, they, the Anglo-Saxons and the Vikings were geographical neighbours from the sort of point of origin before migrating to Britain. So... And also just t talking about the Middle Ages like it was a span of maybe 10 to 15 years. No, it was hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. You can't just smash all of that together. And if you're saying Africans, the only example that I could think of would be, uh, what was his name, Tom Booth, the trumpet player in King Henry VIII's course. Mm -hmm. It caught, uh, he, okay, one guy. Congrats. <laughs> Mission accomplished, boys. We found one actually African guy <laughs> as an example. All the rest of them we made up, but we got the one in. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's just really strange that they're trying to crowbar into history. It's I not. It's not strange at all when they, you know, if they talk about Great Replacement as being some kind of grand conspiracy theory. Fair point. Um, but it, it carries on to say, in the period of the Tudors and Stuarts, an incoming black Muslim population, yeah, that didn't happen, um, brought new knowledge about textiles, medicine, maths, and navigation. 
I mean, we did inherit some of that knowledge, but I don't think it was Black from... Muslim population during the Tudors and... Stu- we just have always had migrants, you know, just, proto-boat well, people, again, that's just, what they called just them. Just because he was a single Moorish black man, mm-hmm. so Muslim black man, does not mean that Tom Booth represented some grand, wider community of black Muslims in England at the time. No, that's absolute rubbish. It goes on to uh, say, the book says that um, following the Second World War, Britain needed help, and so the government asked uh, asked people from the colonies to come. These included the Windrush generation and others from countries that had been left poor after slavery and colonisation. That's a misconception. You, if you're a hunter-gatherer, how can you be left poorer by being introduced to modern technology? Well, modern at the time. doesn't make sense. Um, it also includes a page on Black Lives Matter, which states that although race does not scientifically exist, black people suffer institutional racism. I mean, I, I kind of agree that it's ethnicity, not race, and that the notion but, of race doesn't really make sense. E- even then, you can take various different ethnicities and group them into genetic clusters yeah. that do match up with self-reportings of people's race if you want to uh, be low resolution with just white, mm-hmm. black, Asian, etc. So that you, there are genetic clusters that match up that are closer to one another than they are with other people on separate races. There are blurry boundaries between mm-hmm. some of them, especially if you're talking about southern Spain and some of the Mediterranean where there's been intermixing with North mm-hmm. Africans over the years. But th- there is a basis for it scientifically. Uh, um, it, it kind of depends on how you categorize stuff. Like, for example, uh, like some Indian people who are very, very dark could be mistaken for Africans, even though they're genetically distinct. And so, oh, well, yeah, if you're going just by low resolution skin that's color, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're just going by skin color, yeah, but if you're talking about the specific genetics, mm-hmm. then yeah, yeah, I know all about that. Then, you, you, then I think you and I would agree, of course. Yeah, um, so it carries on to quote some historians, which I found funny because they said it in much the same terms that we did. So, at a new case book has caused concern among historians with Dr. Um, Zaria Masani saying, seems <laughs> typical of the kind of wokedom that's been colonizing our schools and universities. I feel like they very specifically chose a man with that name. <laughs> just, so, just to really hammer home the point. See, see, even this man doesn't agree with this mm-hmm. rubbish. He claims it was evidence of brainwashing children with outright lies, confusion, and misinformation, which is very true. Um, David Abu Lafia, a historian and Cambridge Emeritus professor, said the Nazis claimed that the cultural achievements of the North were the work of blonde, fair-skinned folk. Making skin color a criterion for judging the great achievements like Stonehenge is therefore not a new idea. It's also rubbish. It only gets interesting if their skins were blue or green. Depends how cold it was out, surely. Mm. I mean, if, if, if they were blue, I imagine they wouldn't be doing much building because they're about to die. <laughs> yeah. But um, the final thing I wanted to mention is this ridiculousness. Um, and I think we'll need to give this a listen because this is some clear scholars. I mean, look at that wizard. He, he, he knows what's up, doesn't he? Um, I think we've got some doctors and nurses on screen right here. But this is definitely one to listen to because it's hilarious. I, I love black Hebrew Israelite anthropology. It's so amazing. So if we go back to the start, let's uh, listen to them claim. So now, just remember, Bron was named after their confection. Mm-hmm. And now they named the city Bronning the Field. Why? Because there's tons of brown people in that That's city, man. Right. There's tons of brown people in that city that look like this before they tried to whitewash it. So just remember, this man was ruling over that city. Go ahead. Bronning Field occurs in a charter of a theft. Wait, wait, wait. It occurs in a what? In a charter. So it says Bronning, Bronning the Field occurs in a charter. 
Now this right here, I put the picture on him. This is Ethelstan right here. It occurred in his charter. And Bron means brown man, which means his people was dark skinned people. That's who they was, man. The Anglo-Saxons was black. And That's right. 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 In a charter of Ethelstan. Anyway, if you want to find that, boy, you come down to the UK. That's right. right. Go on, I can't bring myself to dislike these guys. I kind of love them. <laughs> Ethelstan was a black man. <laughs> we was Anglo-Saxon. I don't know why I'm doing an American accent. It was more London. But you, you get the idea. And then again, we have Survive the Jive bringing facts and logic to the, the scenario. The silly people in that video believe that the manuscript um, images of Anglo-Saxons like this one depict black people. The metal-based pigments used... Um, in the um, in illuminated manuscripts for silver, white, yellow, or red, um, lead oxidized and turned to a silver black color. You can see on the hands what the original color was like to claim these people were Africans is insane. Yes, obviously. You, I mean, the Anglo-Saxons, Northern Germany and Southern Denmark, famous uh, African, I mean, maybe, maybe 15, today. 15, 20 years ago, Louis Theroux was making BBC documentaries about how silly this kind of black Hebrew Israelite anthropology was. There's, a, mm -hmm. there's that fantastic scene where he meets with the leader of the New York branch. He's just going, Shakespeare, black man. Henry VIII, black man. <laughs> and you're just supposed to sit there and laugh at how ridiculous it is. Could he make that nowadays? Would he disagree nowadays? Louis Theroux these days, would he be sitting there going, ah, tell me more, oh wise one. I mean, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Edward Colston, black man. <laughs> That's um, right. When those students did that, tore down that statue, they were tearing down black British history. That's right. Ev everyone in, in British history was actually black. This is... Uh, Including me. Factually correct. In fact, I'm secretly black. Um, and uh, yes, that, that, that is... The power of editing has been fooling you all this whole time. That, that is true. Gonna N-word pass for you. N-word pass for you. Thank you very much. There and on, on that note... <laughs> Um, yes, um, the British government is unintentionally or intentionally, depending Completely on who you intentionally. Ask. Yeah, it seems to be intentional. Brainwashing children into believing that um, there's a lot of black history that there is not. If you appreciated that segment from the podcast of The Lotus Eaters, you can go to lotuseaters.com to get access to all the premium content that's on the site, such as the premium articles, this one on What is a Fascist, with an audio track for silver and gold tiers. If you'd like to find out what else is being put out, you can follow on Getter at lotuseaters underscore com on Getter. Thank you and goodbye.